Today we're going to begin a podcast that's uh, about a very interesting phenomena called now this is missing. a very interesting <clears throat> subject because missing persons is a crime or maybe not a crime it all depends on how you perceive the question of missing people but in the United States which arguably has the world's highest number of missing persons according to the world population review com according to the national crime information center ncic the missing person and unidentified person files for the year 2021 uh, that is the operational year 2021 521,705 people were reported missing in that year moreover 93,718 of those people remained actively missing at the start of 2022 the fact that the united states has the third highest population in the world likely contributes to a high number of missing persons as does the country's law enforcement agencies that take missing person reports seriously and are basically well equipped to act on and locate individuals reporting as missing now the purpose of this podcast is to take you back in time to November 1951 where this very same subject was the focus of a short article in of all things Mechanics Illustrated. At that time uh, there were 250,000 people which is enough at the, to populate Oklahoma City were reported missing every year. And hundreds of those only exist as question marks back in 1951 in America's police files. The article by a fellow by the name of Lester David starts out by the following. In a small stuffy flat in the Yorkville section of New York City, a man and his wife finished dinner. It had been a steamy August day and they decided to stack the dishes in the sink and go for a walk in the cooling twilight. Down the stairs they went, nodding cheerfully to neighbors gathering on the stoop. They strolled along the street and around the corner, just an ordinary man and wife out for an evening walk. But when they rounded the corner, they stepped into oblivion. Neither one was ever seen again. Now switch the spotlight to another hot August night a number of years before that. This concerns a different man who had dined leisurely with an attorney and a beautiful showgirl at Billy Haw's restaurant near Times Square. Now remember, we're talking 1951, well over 70 years ago. The tall, portly man had chatted amiably throughout the meal and mentioned offhand that he planned to spend several weeks at his summer home in Maine. Shortly after 9 p.m., the three left the restaurant and the man flagged a passing cab. When the taxi rounded the corner, it touched off a mystery which has become one of the most baffling and frustrating of modern times. The world hunted and is still hunting, but the tall man was never seen again. His name, Supreme Court Justice Force Carter. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Force Carter. What moral can be drawn from these two unrelated dramas? Just this. Everybody remembers famous people who vanish without a trace, drop obscurely and utterly out of sight, but obscure people vanish too under circumstances which are frequently just as tantalizing and bewildering as the celebrated cases. Now, just to let you know that I checked with Wikipedia 
And the latest on the Joseph Force Crater case is exactly what I read you from the 1951 article, that he disappeared August 6, 1930, and was legally declared dead June 6, 1939. He was a New York State Supreme Court Justice who mysteriously vanished amid a political scandal. He was last seen leaving a restaurant on 45th Street in Manhattan and entered popular culture as one of the most mysterious missing persons cases of the 20th century. Despite massive publicity, the case was never solved and was officially closed 40 years after Crater. Going back to the 1951 responsible article on this, you know that back in those days, the big names were George Crater, Amelia Earhart, Glenn Miller. But at the time, they were talking about missing persons bureau in every large police department in the U.S., which had an open file on thousands of unknown, what they call little people, who dropped out of sight on street corners, in railway stations, and on the highways. In 1951, more than 250,000 persons were reported missing in the U.S. each year. Almost 90% of them were children. Boys outnumbered girls by 25%. In May of that year, they said that whenever spring fever struck, in full force, it was a peak month for disappearances. September, which brought the discouraging prospect of another school year, was just behind. The history books are full of missing people. In 1944, Captain Glenn Miller was lost in a plane crash, but rumors still persisted to this day that uh, he did not die in a plane crash. Travel writer Richard Halliburton vanished completely while crossing the Pacific in a boat. Uh, an odd fact is that virtually all the young girls in those days, 13, 14, and 15, who vanished from their homes were usually well-developed physically for their ages. Nevertheless, contrary to popular opinion, sex played a minor role in disappearances. The chief reason listed by authorities at the time was a distaste for school, disagreeable home surroundings, a spirit of adventure, and even excessive greed of parents for children's earnings. So what happens when the person went missing back in the day? In 1951, the Missing Persons Bureau of New York City was a highly geared, intricate system that came into operation when someone reported a missing person. They produced a daily mimeograph bulletin listing names and descriptions sent to all the YMCA's, municipal lodging houses, newsboys' homes, girls' shelters, hospitals, and so on. If there was a reason to believe the person had skipped town, they teletyped alarms and they were flashed to all the police agencies in 15 states. On important cases, 29,000 police stations, police stations rather, throughout the U.S. were alerted. When the police got on a case so thoroughly, they, do, they did find culmination to the point where 99.5% of these missing cases are solved each year. This is in 1951 and the books are closed. But one half of 1% remained open, remained open even then and these were deep dark mysteries that completely foiled the law enforcement agencies at the time and even to today. There are people who have vanished without a trace. Like the Yorkville couple who apparently walked out of this world when they turned that corner in New York. This is again 1951. Their names were Andrew and Elizabeth Toth. They lived at 318 East 78th Street. 
Hospitals, morgues, lodging houses, rivers and forests yielded no clues. How could a man and a wife vanish so completely in the heart of a great steaming city? There's one fact the police know. You can develop a theory based on it, perhaps. Andrew Toth was known to carry a huge sum of money on his person, somewhere between five and seven thousand dollars. <throat> Imagine in 1951 how much seven thousand dollars would be worth today. A long time before he had lost his savings to the Bank of the United States failure, he'd mistrusted banks, so he carried all his actual personal wealth in, in the form of money in his pockets. The New York Missing Persons Bureau thought about the, con the combined ingenuity of his department and that someone who would know of Toss Bank rule would draw up to the curb where they're walking, invite them for a ride in the country, and that would be it. They may be gratefully accepted, and somewhere on the lonely road, the friend murdered the husband and the wife and hid the bodies and came back with the money. The police at the time, and to this day, believe that they will one day stumble upon two skeletons in the wilderness, but as of today, that case is still open. Just as mystifying is a strange case of another non-celebrity, Dean Mix, 23, a son of a Rochester businessman. At 9.30 p.m. on September 20, 1949, young Mix telephoned his father and said he was catching Nick's train home from New York. When Mix hung up the receiver and left the phone booth, he stepped into a cloud of mystery and that's been shrouded of mystery and his whereabouts ever since. What happened to Dean Mix? Nobody knows. All the police know is that he arrived in New York from Hollywood five days earlier where he'd gone to sell a custom-bodied automobile he designed. Unsuccessfully came back east, accompanied by a fellow by the name of Captain Elmo Chester Holland, a merchant marine master. That was the last phone call Mix had with his dad. He did say that he sold his car to Holland for $2,500 and was paid in two certified checks. His father advised him to get a bank draft for the checks and send the money to the Central Trust Company in Rochester. Dean agreed. But the money never reached Rochester, and the certified checks were never cashed. Holland told police he last saw Mix in Grand Central Terminal, where the young man had gone to pick up his baggage. They parted at the station. He never saw him again. Since then, leads have sent police scurrying from Times Square to Arizona to Philadelphia to Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, but Dean has never turned up. Was it murder? Was it suicide? Kidnapping? A serious accident or illness, they drop out of sight voluntarily. Your good, your guess rather, is as good as anybody's, but that doesn't really solve the problem of the numbers, the numbers of people who just go missing. Then there is the almost supernatural disappearance of William F. Ferry, who placed a wreath on his wife's grave, then drove down the Bronx River Parkway as one of the worst snowstorms in history of the East shriek to a climax. Ferry vanished into the storm, and what is more astounding, oh, oh, astonishing, astonishing rather, so did his car. It never turned up in an accident. A parking lot or garage was never found abandoned, and it was never re-registered. Now how about some of the really famous disappearance cases? Here's something you probably didn't know. Despite the official verdicts of death, Vast numbers of people still believe that the lost celebrities are still alive and it will someday return to civilization. 
1951, for example, Don Haynes, Glenn Miller's personal manager until his disappearance in a British plane bound for Paris in 1944, only recently was forced to issue a statement ending once and for all all the persistent rumors that the band leader was still living. There are stories that claim Miller is a basket case, was a basket case rather than, and didn't want anyone to know that he it was in a North African hospital voluntarily and a psychiatric as a psychiatric patient. Similar rumors are also cropping up year after year and even to the very day about whatever happened to Amelia Earhart, whose plane disappeared in the Pacific in 1937. Remember, I'm talking to you about articles that were written in 1951 about Amelia Earhart, and there have been many instances of uh, expeditions going to various islands in the Pacific to look for her. And uh, to this day, there's no concrete evidence of where her last days were. However, in 1951, the most frequent one was that she was still alive on a tiny atoll far from the Pacific sea lanes awaiting a rescue ship. Miss Earhart was last heard from while on a flight from Lea, New Guinea to Howland Island, a speck of land two miles long and a half mile wide. The theory was at the time that she was forced down, question being could she have survived, although her plane was a land ship without special flotation apparatus, it had a good buoyancy for that type of aircraft, obtained from the wing tanks and general wing construction. Experts said, however, it could have remained afloat only a few days. Could she have drifted to a tiny isle? And is it possible that the mighty fleet of warships which hunted for her at the time could have missed her? Now recently, Miss Amy Otis Earhart, this is 1951, remember, Amelia's mother, broke a 14-year silence to announce her own theory. Her theory was that she died in Japan on a U.S. mission. I'm sure, Miss Earhart declared, that Amelia was on some sort of government mission, probably on verbal orders, because Amelia explained that there were some things she could not tell me. I am equally sure she did not make a forced landing in the sea. She landed on a tiny atoll, one of many in the general area of the Pacific, and was picked up by a Japanese fishing boat, which took her to the Marshall Islands, then under Japanese control. Then she was taken to Japan where she met with an accident. An accident arranged that ended her life. What happened to famous travel author Richard Halliburton? Here's what we knew in 1951. That in March 23, 1939, his vessel, the 75-foot Chinese junk called Sea Dragon, was plowing through mountainous seas 1,200 miles west of Midway Island. Captain John Welch, the skipper, radioed the liner President Coolidge in the vicinity. He said, Southerly gales, squalls, lee rail underwater, hard tack, bully beef, wet banks, having a wonderful time, wish you were here instead of me. That wryly humorous message was the last the world would ever hear from the little craft. Naval ships scoured 152,000 square miles of the ocean for weeks, but no trace of the sea dragon was ever found. A few years later, bits of wreckage washed ashore at Pacific Beach, California, many thousands of miles from the scene of that storm. Big timbers and unusually large brass bolts helped identify the wreckage as Chinese, but, tantalizingly, 
Not enough floated in to establish that it was the Sea Dragon. That slim bit of evidence is all the proof we have that Richard Halliburton died during a storm at sea. Do you want to accept that? How about Judge Crater? Ever since he disappeared on that night of August 6, 1930, police of every state have hunted for him in vain, fruitlessly following leads which indicate he's in a monk. At a, is he a monk in a monastery? <laughs> is living in the California shantytown as a waiter in a desert oasis or a mental patient in anywhere in the United States? Did Crater vanish voluntarily? Here are the arguments against that theory. First, he asked his maid to return August 25 to clean his apartment, and when he returned from a brief vacation. Second, he had just ordered two suits to be made ready when the court reconvened, and three, he had been appointed to fill an unexpired bench term, made an excellent record of his chances for nomination and election, and to a full term, which at that time was 22500 a year. Fourth, he was not accused of any crime. But these are the arguments in favor of voluntary disappearance. First, on the day of the, the first day he managed, he, he vanished rather, he'd withdrawn $5,100 from the bank and had the cash with him. Second, he had been active in the Tammany Hall politics just at the time that a big job buying scandal involving a close friend was erupting. Crater's case is certainly an enigma, but even more stunning, his vanishing act that was accomplished in modern times of one. Adolf Hitler. Now this is really funny from a 1951 article because the war was only over six years. And so the sort of uh, uh, we call it misinformation or malinformation today or even perhaps a fantasy was about what happened to Hitler on the closing days of uh, 19, uh, May 1945 during the war. <clears throat> it was April 45 and like a hunted beast, Hitler retreated into Berlin's ornate Reich Chancellery, ordered the doors shut, windows barricaded as Russian shells and Allied bombs hit closer and closer to the target. Soon, Hitler with Eva Braun, members of the German Supreme Command, retreated to their private bunker on the grounds. It was a squat gray block of massive concrete with a heavy door facing the guards and a number of deep, dark rooms far underground. From there, he gave his last orders to his shattered army. Finally, on May 1st, Announcements the world had been waiting for, Hitler had killed himself and the war was over. Confidently, Russian troops plowed through the ruins of the Reich Chancellery, but Hitler's body was nowhere to be found. Said Dr. Hans Fritsch, assistant to Goebbels, his body has been hidden in a place where it will be impossible to find. But many believe Hitler never died. Did he, as many fear, flee in a U-boat to South America or by motor car to Spain? Is he hiding somewhere in the mountains of Germany, in the Black Forest, in the Alps of Bavaria, hatching his mad plans and waiting for the time when he again can head to militant Germany. In 1951, this was still great stuff to read about in the Canucks Illustrated. At the time they wrote, no one knows because Adolf Hitler's vanquished, or has been vanished like so many other. He is like Cinderella, a beautiful gown when the clock struck 12 and disappeared. <clears throat> These missing people may be dead, or they may return one day. Meanwhile, there are nothing but big question marks in the open file marked Vanished Without a Trace. Now, to conclude this podcast, which is about missing persons, I decided to take a look at Richard Halliburton, 
which this 1951 article talks about, who was a celebrated travel writer. And according to Wikipedia, Richard Halliburton, born in 1900, is presumed dead after March 24, 1939. He was an American travel writer and an adventurer who swam the length of the Panama Canal and paid the lowest toll in its history, 36 cents in 1928. He disappeared at sea while attempting to sail the Chinese junk Sea Dragon across the Pacific from Hong Kong to the Golden Gate International Exhibition in San Francisco. Part of his background was that at 5'7 and 140 pounds, the writer was never a robust, but seldom complained, was never a robust person in terms of health, uh, when they would never complain about sickness or poor stamina. However, the witness of the end of his uh, uh, time on this planet is interesting because people to this day who were looking at the disappearance of the sea dragon looked at various uh, uh, ideas uh, since uh, 1938 that uh, the disappearance was basically not a disappearance. On September 23, 1938, Halliburton boarded the SS President Coolidge bound for Hong Kong, where he started off to sail the Chinese junk back to San Francisco. According to his first cousin, the trip was meant in part for new interest in Halliburton, whose fame at the time was in decline. Biographers credit the idea for the voyage to Walter Gaines Swanson, who was the exposition's public relations manager, and promoted its goal of celebrating both the Oakland and Golden Gate Bridges, as well as the cultures of the Pacific Rim. Despite an interest in sailing crafts in childhood, Halliburton himself had little practical navigation experience. So, when you look at the Wikipedia write-up, it sounds very much like this fellow was the author of his own misfortune. So, a missing person there, not the same as the missing person, such as the crater uh, uh, case. In any event, uh, it's interesting to look at something that was written 70-some years ago about missing persons. And in the United States at that time, 250,000 people disappeared every year. And considering the size of the population of the United States at that time and today, to have about double that amount of uh, missing persons files is quite remarkable. So we're going to follow up more on this missing persons issue in a, in a, in a podcast uh, in weeks to come, which uh, uh, I hope you'll take time to listen to. In the meantime, should you uh, be interested in more of this sort of uh, podcast, please let us know. Uh, you can write to me at by uh, email, borderpole at borderpole.org, and uh, I'd be very happy to be in touch with you and talk about some of the future podcasts that we're doing. In the meantime, have a good day and happy motoring.